You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. We're going to do this morning Psalm 64. So if you have a phone or a Bible and you can get to that, we'll be in Psalm 64. Let me let me say a prayer and then we'll and then I'll read this and we'll and we'll we'll dive in a little bit. So Father, in this morning hour, we are we're grateful that you've brought us together to worship and drawn our hearts again to the truth of your word and and Father that you've invited us again to the table. Um, to be able to feast on your grace and your love and your, on your person. And so I, I pray that tonight, now as we enter into this time together, that you'll open the heart and the mind of the teacher and those who are here to listen, that you would do the effective work of your spirit, Lord, to be our teacher, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I, I, I did not get a chance yet to listen to last week's with uh, Doug Webster, but I will be sure to do that. I'm, I'm glad to be uh, tag teaming with with Doug. Um, uh, to the, what song did he do? <laughs> That's horribly mean. I knew it wasn't that. <laughs> that was quick. I'll give it to you. That was quick. Well, let's 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 move on. And you're not allowed to talk anymore. None of you. Uh, all right, let me, let me read Psalm 64. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life. And I, I want you to... This, this is the, probably, the given our time, the operative phrase that I want you to turn over in your mind. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throngs of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords, who who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking who can see them. They search out injustice, saying we have accomplished a diligent search for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. Now, as an aside... This was a turn of phrase that I found in a commentary that I was reading on Psalm 64 um, on, this ver- on the verse I just read to you. The incalculable irrationality of evil. So what a great turn of phrase. The incalculable irrationality of evil. Um, the heart of a man is deep. Verse 7, and here's the shift. But God shoots his arrows at them. <laughs> they are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and, and they ponder everything that God has done. And then the final verse, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord. And boy, we'll talk about it again, but here it is. It's like if you're going to buy a t-shirt from the psalmist convention, it's going to have this phrase on the back and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. So that's Psalm 64. Um, and I'm just talking out loud a little bit about the psalm with you. 
You know, it's, um, it's a feature of the Psalms that can be a bit unnerving because it's not always clear what to do with it uh, because, I, I think because we know, or, or if we're reflective about ourselves, which I know I'm not often, but if we are, um, we, we, we can't always trust ourselves when it comes to the identification of our enemies. Um, these things can be real, they can be perceived. I, I think the enemy is true, I want to talk more about this today. Um, but I think we know ourselves, or at least willing to call ourselves into question when we align somebody, especially in a relational sphere, as our enemy. But it is true that throughout the Psalms, from beginning to end, the psalmist does not hesitate to bring his prayer before the Lord for God to mete out his judgment against their enemies. It's all over. And it's all over in such a way that I think, frankly, in polite company can make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, boy, you want a hard... Get, I'm not even going to read it this morning. Give Psalm 137 a try. That's one that will keep you up at night. And it's in our Bible. So the question becomes here, you know, what does it mean that we're leveling charges against our enemies and asking God, number one, to protect us, and number two to mete out his judgment against them. Now, th this is a feature that I, I've, I've mentioned this again and again, and I'll say it, say it, I'll repeat it this morning. One of the features about the Psalms that I find so refreshing, I imagine you do as well, is so much of the circumstances giving rise to the Psalms are left undefined. In other words, we're not told in Psalm 64 who the enemies are, that are troubling the psalmist. In fact, if we know something about the history of the way in which the psalms worked, these psalms were eventually received into corporate worship and prayed collectively as the community of faith. So you can imagine, that's a broad highway when you start to, to speak about enemies, whether it's individually or, or collectively. Another feature that I think we need to take some thought of, and, and again, I, I, this, there's some... You know, we've got to enter into this carefully and wisely and humbly. Um, but there are enemies. There, there are, I mean, the Lord of the Rings was written, and it was written for a real reason. Because good and evil exist in the world. And I recognize that there can be times when there's a kind of fuzzy gray area in the middle as we navigate society together and culture together. But there is real evil in the world. And evil plots itself quite often through the mechanism of light and attractiveness. This is why the psalmist here is saying, you know, that they, they speak with their tongues, they imagine injustice, and then they execute it in the morning. The evil are constantly plotting over against God and His people. And so I think that the, the larger issue here as we think about our prayer life before the Lord is that, and, and this is where we're going to release the clutch this morning, God authorizes us in the Psalms to pray against God's enemies and the enemies of His kingdom. And to really pray against them. Now here's the beautiful part about it. And I'm, I'm going to backtrack into the dread issue that's here. Because that's, I think, at the heart of this Psalm at least. But enemies are left undefined here in such a way. And I think we're invited into a posture of prayer in such a way that leaves the end result of God's justice and judgment in the world in the hands of God. Um, vengeance is the Lord's, it's not ours. I mean, it, someone very famous said that one time, Jesus. Right? 
Um, so, I mean, the, so the point of this here is we enter into a prayer life before God and the posture of our life lived in a dark and tumultuous world where there are real enemies out there that are set dead set against God and His kingdom is the posture of prayer and giving it to the Lord. That's, that's what the psalmist is doing. I give this to you. You are the one who will work this out in your time. You are the one who will set your judgment on them and the righteous will find refuge in you. Now we're going to have to sort through that as we sort of press through. But that's the posture of prayer here. Um, you know, front page. The, I'm just using this illustratively because this could be expounded again and again in so many ways. But front page of the Wall Street Journal this weekend, right? Um, Taliban or overwhelming Afghanistan. What, what was 90 days uh, of some sort of safety in Kabul for the American embassy and the troops that are there is now, what, 72 hours. Um, and the, the picture that I saw on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, either Friday or the weekend edition, I can't remember, was a, an Afghani woman whose eye had been shot out. Um, you know, and it's it, just two days ago. And so it's, it, it, that could be just, there's evil in our world. And the psalmist lets us know that it is proper and right to pray to God about that and to ask God to act in His holiness and His justice and His judgment against those who perpetrate evil in our world. And the list can go on and on. I mean, I, I could, and again, I don't want to riff too much here because I'll get myself in trouble. And, and I, as I told somebody, you can't burp at the Advent without it being recorded. So I, um, so I'm careful about this. Um, but uh, think about, think, you parents out there and grandparents. I've been giving a lot of thought to this lately. Think about the sexualization of our culture. It's hype, we're in a hyperly sexualized world. And in a world that's opening up sexualization, disordered sexuality to our children more and more. And, and, and normalizing that. But now we're being desensitized and normalized to ways that, to, to sexual modes of being that are disordered. And, it, and it's happening all over the place. And here I think we, and, and the list could go on and on. I mean, we, we, we could sit here all day listing the evils in our world. We know them. And so here the psalmist is telling us to bring those kinds of prayers and concerns and fears to him. The Bible recognizes that there is the devil and that there is sin. And sin is not just, by the way, from Paul's standpoint, the bad things that you and I do, that is sin, but sin for the Apostle Paul. Read Romans 7 this weekend. Sin for the Apostle Paul is a capital S sin. It's personified. It's an agent it can be identified in personified ways like I might talk about another person. That's sin operating in this world that Paul tells us in Romans 7 took the law, God's very word, the, the, the extension of God's being and His holiness and perverted it in such a way to become the instrument of our death. Sin did that for, for Paul. Not, not our sins, sin. Whatever that category is out there, if I'll use a fancy term, an apocalyptic category of existence that Paul is working with. And we feel this in our world. And Paul and, and the psalmist here, from Psalm 1 to the end, wants you to know that God wants you to pray about that to Him. To talk to Him about the enemies that are lurking out there. Can, can I read you now again what the psalmist says? They wet their tongues like swords. 
bitter words like arrows. They shoot from ambush at the blameless. They shoot at him suddenly. They have no fear. Nothing holds them back. They hold fast to their evil purposes. They talk um, of... Uh, um, they, they, they talk of laying snares secretly. They say, no one can see us. We work injustice in the darkness. I mean, if I, if I can um, collate Psalm 64 with the prophets, Micah chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 speaks in almost similar terms here. Micah the prophet says, this is what the, the wicked do. They, they lay on their bed at night, devising evil things to plot. And then in the morning, they activate that plot and they do it. I mean, the point that I think Micah is saying is their whole 24-hour cycle of existence is think about what to do as an act of injustice. How can I take care? How can I leverage advantage over the vulnerable and the weak? The morning, I wake up, I do it, I enact it. And, 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 and the, the psalm and, and, and the prophet says, and God has, they're devising their plans. God is devising his plans against them. So that's the kind of tension that I think Christians, we feel in this world. And what I think Jesus and the psalmist call us to is not a taking up of arms against them. In other words, engaging them on the field of battle by their own weapons using Caesar's sword to do Jesus' work. That's, that's not the alternative for believers, but it's the power and the effectiveness of prayer. Truly believing that God, by His Spirit, is active in the world to let His kingdom advance and move throughout um, time and space. So, there, I mean, you don't need any convincing, do you? There's evil in our world. Injustice is plotted left and right. And we, and we know the species of evil that lurk in our own hearts, so we're aware of it. But if you notice carefully the wording of the psalmist here, the wording of the psalmist in this first verse is, Lord, protect me from the dread of my enemy. Now that's worth talking about a little bit. Because here now we're talking about fear. We are in a moment, and for very good reasons, where a posture and a path for those who follow Christ is a is a default posture of fear. This is a fearful moment. Do I need to lay it out? I mean, COVID, political tensions left and right. I mean, again, we're all plotting ourselves. Some of you in here on the left, some of you are on the right. And and of course, we're going to plot ourselves over against the other. I mean, I, I get it. But we all feel the tensions of our moment and the fact that we're becoming more and more divided one from another. And that a lot of these divisions that we're feeling in our moment, driven by a very powerful impulse, namely fear. Fear is a powerful motivator. And this is why I think Psalm 64 is such a psalm for our moment. It's a psalm for me and for you as well. And by the way, this is not a call to bravado or foolishness. Think about Aristotle here, right? Aristotle said, you know, there's courage is, is a mean between being stupid um, and, and, and having a lot of bravado and, act, and, and, and operating in fear. So courage is, is, is not just kind of going into the battlefield and saying, you know, have at it. it there's, so we're called to wisdom to navigate our world well and thoughtfully. But the motivating factor that's driving us, at least that the psalmist recognizes as a genuine feature of our existence, is fear. And the psalmist is asking to be delivered from that. Lord, deliver me from the dread of my enemy. 
Dread is that which keeps us up at night. That thing, that, that anxiety that whittles its way into our heart because fear grows all kinds of noxious fruits in our lives. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I've got kids. I've got kids that sometimes make dumb decisions. And the reaction that I can have in that as I look at them is to be plagued by fear about what's going to happen with them. Um, and, and by the way, if you read what the psalmist says here, it's not unreasonable that he has dread. That's the point, I think. It's not unreasonable to be fearful. In fact, it makes a lot of sense to be fearful. There are real dragons out there. They really are wetting their swords. They really are plotting against you or something like that. And yet the psalmist is wanting his being to be driven in such a way to the Lord that his trust is in him and him alone. So where does the psalmist go as he lays out the injustice of the, of the wicked in the world, real evil in our world that wages itself against God and his kingdom, pleading for God to, re, to release him from the dread or the fear of that evil? I don't want to operate according to fear. Perfect love, the Bible tells us, cast out fear. I, mean, I think, and again, we have to, I have to work myself to this. I don't know if you, some of you walk on holier ground. But I, I have to work myself to this with some regularity. I really do believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. I really do believe. In other words, I know how the script ends. That's not just preacher, preacher slogan talk. That, that is at the core of our Christian faith. I know how this thing ends. And in those moments that seize me by fear, which are real and they're not going to go away, that's the opportunity the psalmist is letting you know that God has given you to motivate you and propel you toward fear and a realignment of your thought and your faith and the object of your faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's what it, when I'm fearful, that's, and think about this if I can use it as an illustration. This is why the Christian tradition, and I know this is controversial, has talked about the importance of, of fasting. And I think fasting, you know, when it becomes a kind of legalistic tool is not always helpful. But if I, I read a really good book on fasting years ago, and I think the idea of fasting was when you enter into a fast and your, and those hunger pains come your way, the hunger pains themselves are like church bells. Come on in and pray, right? Ding, 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 right? You, you, you want that cracker right now? C come on in and let this be a moment of prayer, knowing that our ultimate satisfaction, our heavenly meal is in Jesus, and we're drawn to that for whatever purposes that are motivating you into the fast. I think the psalmist may say something similar about fear. Fear, when it arises, and it will, we will never be devoid of it. We never avoid it. But when fear arises, it's the church bells ringing. They're ringing for you. Hey, come on in now and pray. Pray that God deliver you from fear. And pray that God gives you a sense of two outcomes that are assured. And this is where the psalmist goes. There are two things that the psalmist wants you to know are sure in this world. And Psalm 64 and Psalm 73 and Psalm 137 all give each other a big hug right at this juncture. Because here are the two things that we can count on. Number one, God will work out His judgment against His enemies. He will. Th those who set themselves in their teeth against God, revealed in Jesus over against His kingdom, th there's, we have to lobotomize so much of the Bible if we don't affirm that God will mete out His judgment against those who resist and rebel against Him. 
If that's not true, then I've got to cut. There goes Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah. He's out. Malachi, gone. I mean, I've got to start cutting off so Revelation, rip that out too. I mean, you, Je- Thomas Jefferson doesn't have enough, you know, enough scissors to cut out all those um, hard parts of the Bible. Because the Bible from beginning to end is letting you know that he will trample down the wicked. He's going to do it. In the end, he will set justice on the earth and it will, if I can quote Martin Luther King Jr., who's quoting Amos, it will flow like a river. It's going to do that. The new heavens and the new earth is a whole existence rightly ordered to God and to our neighbor where justice and love reigns supreme. That's his promise. We bank on it. And so what the psalmist is forced to hear, and in Psalm 73, is to look to the future and to say, I want you to deliver me from dread right now. And I want you to set my feet on a secure hope that you will, in time, right all things. That doesn't mean it's going to be righted tomorrow. It doesn't mean it's going to be necessarily righted in your lifetime. But it will be righted. On that, you can, you can bank the heavens and the earth. He promises that He will return and He will, in the, in the words of Revelation, make everything new. So I'm pushed toward that in the future, asking God to deliver me from fear right now in light of that assured promise. And then, what's the second thing that He leaves us with? Verse 10. Boy, and this is good. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in Him. Let all the upright in heart exult. I mean, can you compare and contrast verse 1 of Psalm 64 with the last one? What's the operative word of verse 1? Dread. Fear. What's the operative word of verse 10 by the time we get to the end of the psalm? Exultation. Those two don't work together. Fear and dread and exultation and joy and worship they 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 do not make good for good bedfellows they just don't so what is it the psalmist says here in this final verse the thing that he hangs everything on let the righteous one rejoice in you those who take refuge in you this is another feature of the psalms that i think if we're honest um can can be a little off-putting have you read those places in the Psalms where the psalmist will say things like, Oh Lord, you know that I'm righteous. You've read that? If you measure my, my, my words, Psalm 44 comes to mind. If you measure my words, if you see what I've done, I, I've obeyed your word, I've listened to what you said, I, I, I'm acting in righteousness. It's the kind of thing that I think good Protestants wince at when we hear. Like, Ugh, like that. Who, who's going who's gonna to get up you know, in, on Stewardship Sunday You've been asked to give the two-minute speech or whatever. And you get up there and you're like, I just want the church to know that I, I, I'm righteous before the Lord. I mean, we, we would all just kind of go, that's not, it's not quite, I mean, let's, let's talk to your wife. Let's find out, right? Like right now. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think we, we recognize the challenges of this. But can I just say, and I've got more to say about that, but I'll leave it to the side. But can, can we let verse 10 here shape for us, at least in this psalm, what the claim of righteousness entails? How can we claim to be righteous before the Lord in the face of injustice and the enemies around us in the world? Not because of our own righteousness. This is the language of the psalm. Because I've taken refuge in you. I've found my location in you. I really believe that the Apostle Paul has these kinds of phraseologies in mind 
when he says again and again throughout all his letters that you are safe because you are in Christ. You're in him. You find your refuge and security in Jesus. So part of the prayer here, part of the internal conversation that the psalmist is having with him or herself and, and corporately in the congregation, part of that internal conversation moves like this. You see it now? Number one, Lord, release me from the dread of the enemies. Number two, Lord, I'm going to tell you what these enemies are about. I'm going to lay it out before you. They're doing this, this, and this. They're thinking about injustice, and they are doing it. They, they tell me that they're going to say the truth, but I find out they are liars. And Lord, this is happening before us. What's the next thing after that? But, oh Lord, I know that you will work out your judgment and your time and your purposes. I leave that to you. Vengeance is yours, Lord. It's not mine. And the last place that the psalmist goes is, and I'm going to take refuge in you. My righteousness is not because of something that I can do or present to you in a way that sets myself up over against the other. In other words, I don't roll out my resume before the Lord and say, this is why you want to hire me and not the other guy. That's not, that's not the resume of righteousness that the psalmist is giving us here. The resume of righteousness is, I have found my refuge in you. I know that I don't have anywhere else to go. It's in you and you alone. And, and then what's the final result of all of this? It's so beautiful, right? And it's so simple. Exaltation, praise, joy, maybe kind of seen in view of verse 1, release from the tyranny of fear. And can I just say this to you to be encouraged? Because I, I hope this doesn't come across in any bludgeoning way. But release from the moment of dread and fear now. <laughs> this time. Because Tuesday's coming. And then Friday. And then another report from the health commission. Or another report from wherever. And they're like, okay, here we go again. Here, the, here are the... Here the if I can use a term that's overused today, here are the triggers, right, that, that, that touch my fear button. I heard it again, and I'm starting to get riddled with anxiety. And Psalm 64, with the church bells, says, let me give you a pattern for what you might enter into that's authorized by God himself in the Psalms. Come before the Lord and tell him that you're afraid. Um, let him know that you have dread and anxiety. He already knows, you know. But let him know. Talk to him about that. And tell him what the enemy is. Lay it out before the Lord. He doesn't know, but you talk to him about it. You articulate to the Lord who these enemies are that have set themselves over against the God of this kingdom, and maybe even you personally. Lay it out before the Lord. And then leave it with the Lord in his judgment and his righteousness to execute vengeance in his time. And then rejoice in the Lord that you are in him and that your righteousness is secure because you found refuge in him. And then say a doxology and go about your way and do it again on Wednesday. And then do it again on Thursday. And do it again time and time again. Because man is born to trouble, Job told us, like the sparks fly upward. We don't get any get-out-of-jail-free card from the complexity and the hardness of life, the evil and injustice of our world until we breathe our last. And can I tell you something encouraging about the Psalms? and especially verse 10 here, and the way in which the whole psalms go, the psalmist wants you to know that when you do breathe your last, and when you have entered into that heavenly mode of being, awaiting the new heavens and the new earth, it's only verse 10. It's only Psalm 147 to 150. 
It's only praise and exultation and joy and discovery and life. There's no dread there. And the beauty is that there are moments in time when God allows us to taste heaven now, knowing that we can't grasp it now. It's going to go again because there's going to be another trigger. But he gives us a moment to taste heaven. Because what does John 17, 3 say? Eternal life is knowing the Father in the Son. And that's where we're going here in this psalm. To know the Father in the Son, I've taken refuge in Him. So Lord, let Psalm 64 settle itself in our hearts and our minds in these weird times. It's socially awkward. We don't always have to engage one another in this moment. and We want to be thoughtful and respectful, and yet we don't want to be marked by fear. And We're, just, we're struggling, Lord, in this moment. Give us, I, I pray, Lord, a sense of your promises to affect your plan and your timing. And let us learn to rejoice again in you. To exult in a moment that seems so opposed to any exultation. How can there be joy in a weird moment like ours? And the psalmist is inviting us, Lord, into your presence to find joy and praise and thanksgiving even today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.